I was devastated when Shawn Michaels would lose the match, but I also knew in the back of my head, well, this was always going to happen. But why couldn't you write him as a winner? Welcome back to episode three of Dead FC Pod. Boys, I uh, have some great news. I sold my Atlanta United tickets over the weekend right at kickoff. <laughs> I didn't think it was going to happen. Congrats. Thank you. Yep. Yeah, what are you going to do with the money? I didn't think anyone was going to buy them. I, I've stuck them up there. No no shame to Atlanta United. It just didn't work out as it does. But yeah, someone bought them at 7.30. So that was good. I can actually thank Jensen for that little pro tip. Call that a win. Yeah. There have been multiple times where I've had two tickets to the Atlanta United match and didn't actually ask anybody to go to the match with me. And then like Friday night and Saturday morning, I'm texting people and obviously everybody has plans. And so I've been like, well, fuck, I guess I got to go by myself. What am I going to do with this extra ticket? I don't want to just waste it. So I put it up for 20 bucks and it always sells day of the game. Yeah. Which is great because now I have 50 bucks that I can use on my various match fixing exploits. Really excited about that. Really excited to get into that. You know, me, big, better guy. Yes, big, sir. better big, guy. Big fixer. Yeah. <laughs> a big fixer. I think the proper term is, uh, I'm a big gambler, but you said <laughs> big, better guy. Shows you how much Will, Will partakes in our uh, in today's topic. Yeah. Uh, I'm such a, yeah, I just, I, I can't do it. When I went to Las Vegas last year. I think Brent and I spent a whopping 20 bucks on slots. That was it. We took zero risks whatsoever. Impressive. Yeah. So... <laughs> Well, losing money sucks. Like, yeah. No way. Because then you got to try to make it back, right? Yeah. 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 And yet so many people do it. Isn't that right, Ryan? Yeah, that is right. So I think we all know what match fixing is. I think a lot of people, whether they're soccer fans or not, know what match fixing is. Obviously, in the simplest of terms, it's when either players, coaches, officials, people around the game decide what's going to happen before the game actually happens. Usually has to do with money and people betting on games and um, wanting certain things to happen so they can control where that money goes, right? Why we want to talk about it is just how prevalent it is across the world. It's prevalent. Unlike hooliganism, this is something that we see in American sports too. It happens in the NBA and NFL. But in particular around soccer, there's hundreds, maybe thousands of examples in history about uh, match-fixing scandals, whether it's at the World Cup level, at the third division level. It just happens everywhere. I think besides being morally wrong and a lot of people, while a lot of people are making money, a lot of people are losing money. A lot of people are being negatively affected by it. So it's morally wrong, right? But also it's legally wrong. There's legal repercussions for it. People get arrested, people go to jail. So I think just that morality and that legality around it is, is something that's going to be super interesting to talk about. Well, I think it just, apart from like the moral aspect of creating this situation where you're essentially duping people where they think that they're betting on like this fair thing that is just up to chance and it's the deck is stacked against them apart from that. And like there being massive amounts of money that are being scraped out of people's pockets and dumped into people's other people's pockets that are already pretty rich and already have their pockets are already pretty damn full. It just ruins the magic of the game and the spirit of the game. Because if you, if a play, if you find out that you watch this match and you think that it's this amazing, authentic, what's the word I'm looking for? natural spontaneous spontaneous natural thing that happens 
And then you find out like, oh yeah, this guy planned before the match to get a yellow card or to give up a penalty or score an own goal and this in the 68th minute so that he would get 10 grand in his pocket and then somebody else would make millions. It just ruins the, the spirit of the game. Yeah, I think a lot of people joke about the script, right? When something happens or there's yeah. a bad call or someone misses like a sitter or an easy goal. Oh, the script writers were really on one this week. This is what happened. And really a lot of what match fixing is writing a script for the game. I think it's important to talk about some of these scripts and that have been written over the years because it happens a lot now, but it goes far back too. I want to start talking about the 1915 Good Friday betting scandal between Liverpool and Man U, right? Yep. We all know about that. No, I have no idea. what. <laughs> so Man U, Liverpool, for those who don't follow us closely, very big rivals. They've been rivals forever and ever, ever since pretty much they started very bitter rivalry, but sometimes they get together and try to do things for the benefit of both of them. So 1915, Liverpool was playing Man U. Both teams sucked that year. They were both in trouble. They were both maybe going to get relegated, but Man U was at the biggest risk. And a lot of third parties got together and were able to pull in some of the players from both sides and say, hey, we want this match to end 2-0. We want Man U to win. And that's going to happen. And multiple players on both sides made sure that was going to happen. It was pretty obvious. People were like blatantly missing easy penalty kicks. People like Liverpool players were mad because one of their players accidentally hit the crossbar and almost scored. And they were like visibly yelling at him. People like overheard people before the match overheard people having conversations about what the score was going to be. Like it ended up a 2-0 score and it ended and it got crazy. The fun part about it is they they got caught. It didn't really work out for them. Four players for Liverpool, I think, got banned for life. I think a bunch of other things happened there, but that's just one example. Like, they literally got together. The people, there's 18,000 people at Old Trafford that day who were watching this match, and they're like, man, this is going to be a fun match between Man U and Liverpool. I wonder what's going to happen. And what they didn't know is that it was already decided, and people were making money off of it. Um, and it's just crazy. I think what's interesting, too, about that is the uh, it, there was obviously financial allure to for this match to come out and, and play out in its particular way. But there's careers that are being made and or are broken when a team gets relegated or a team gets promoted. So it's there's obviously the club, the impact that happens to the club, but it trickles down into the players themselves and, you know, whether or not they have a, you know, they can play on a team at the end of the day. That's, you can see why someone would be drawn to that sort of thing, right? So, yeah. So it's crazy how many players end up getting caught and then it ruining and ending their careers. Did y'all hear about, I think it was a couple of years ago now, there was that scandal in Brazil that was where a bunch of players were caught up in match fixing and the Brazil government got involved and several players were charged and they were getting between ten dollars and $20,000 a game to do certain actions, whether it's give up a penalty or whatever. Yeah, that's crazy too. It's not just the obvious, like sometimes you could make it, if it's, you're trying to decide the outcome of a game, it could get too obvious. We've all, I think I, we've all, a lot of us have bet on sports before. Like there's prop bets and there's other things mm -hmm. like they, you can collude and fix how many yellow cards they're going to be in a game or like who's going to maybe score first or odds on like how many VAR mistakes there are, right? We can probably have those these days. You can do everything and the more it becomes prevalent and the more there's eyeballs on it, the more kind of sneaky and tricky it's going to get and different things may not be as obvious. I think there's a lot of skepticism about refereeing in, in the game today. Just 
because there's, again, there's VAR and there's audio around it. And there's a lot of just, um, it's harder. The players are better and they're faster and it's a different game. And I just think there's a lot of, there's a lot of crazy things there and people always joke and question about it, but the more people are looking and the more people are looking at it, the sneakier they're going to try to get. Yeah. Well, speaking of referees, there's that massively popular for, for some people, I'm sure who, who followed this, the Calcopoli scandal that happened in, uh, 2006 or came to light in 2006. This is essentially when this was an Italian football scandal and has implicated a ton of the top Italian teams. Um, and they were found to have been involved in, you know, influencing the appointment of referees for their matches to have favorable officials for their games. It's really interesting how it was discovered. You know, the Italian police, I guess, got tipped off to it and intercepted phone calls. So this was phone calls between team managers, referees, and other football officials. And essentially, you know, these calls, there were conversations that suggested match fi- fixing through the referee appointments. So they'd have certain referees pl- officiating certain matches so that things would be tailored in specific ways. And, you know, this, uh, like I said, this was, this was everybody it was in- in- implicated. So Juventus, AC Milan, Forenza, Lazio. So just this implicated all the biggest clubs in Italy. And in terms of like penalties, this is actually, uh, surprisingly, there, w- there were there were actually penalties involved and Juventus was the most severely punished. So they were stripped of their 2004 and 2005, 2004, 2005 and 2005 and 2006 Serie A titles and relegated to Serie B, which is Italy's second division. And they also started the Serie B season with a point deduction. I think this is really interesting because there were so many teams as a part of this or who, who were implicated in this and there were actually penalties, but it, it shows that FIFA ain't going to play when you're messing with their money. They're going to find some way to bring it back on you. And of course, this is one of the biggest scandals that that came out about. And actually, just as a side note, Calcopoli means football gate. And it significantly tarnished the image of Italian soccer and led to a lot of reforms in the way referees were selected for matches. So either those reforms that they've made were really effective, or this is very indicative of how short of memories people have, because... If you were to ask me when the last time Juventus was playing in the second division, I'd be like, I don't know, maybe like 1859 mm-hmm. or something or mm-hmm. 1898. That and it's also good for them, but maybe not so good in general that financial fair play rules didn't exist back then. So it's not like they they lost out on revenue for what, probably what a season and they were yeah. immediately promoted back up. The other thing too, Ryan, you were talking about this a little bit, just like the tactics used to sway a match. So because the game has, there's so many little nuances to a game, I think that's really interesting. So that could be like receiving a red card or just a player throws a penalty. The the margin between defeat and victory and a draw is so tight in soccer. And sometimes there can be an ill draw because both teams missed a penalty kick. And that's yeah. a natural thing that can happen, but it also... So sometimes it's like hard to pick out what can happen there. And there's so many little things that can affect just so many things. I think there was a study recently that said soccer is considered the most suspenseful sport because at any moment, the entire trajectory of the game, it doesn't matter what happened in 90 minutes. There could be a second at the end that totally changes the outcome of the game. Yeah. And a lot of the examples I saw too were like, it's not happened in the lower leagues and it's probably pretty prevalent there because when there's less attention on things people seem to get real i don't know real dark real easy but like a lot of the examples i was reading like there's a lot most of them were like oh 
there was this huge scandal, Operation Veto in 2010. It was, or 2009 and 2010, like we were looking at like Europol and the police were looking into match fixing. They were looking into tons of different matches and like they were looking into all these second German, Swiss and Tur Turkish football leagues. Oh, but also there were six uh, Champions League matches that were included in the investigation. And it just like, people can't help themselves but to get to the highest level because that's where the most money is. Yeah. And it all becomes clear that people start to distrust and the, the trust is eroded in the sport. So when people joke about, oh, the script writers, they're doing this, that, and the other, it's, it's based in some historical truth because, yeah, there's just story after story about player betting or referee corruption or club level orchestration, like all these like really like gov big football governing bodies colluding for financial gain or whatever their motivations were. Pretty interesting. Yeah, at least FIFA is pretending to care about the integrity of the game and it really being a sport. But I think, Ryan, I think you mentioned last week when we were talking about the NBA scandal, the NBA waffles back and forth between are we sport or are we entertainment? And they haven't closed the book on scripting their season and their playoffs because it is entertainment in the same way that like WWE is entertainment. Going. Yeah, it's crazy. So I think that's why it hurts even more whenever these things come out is there's so much uh, weight put on the integrity of the game. But at the end of the day, if there's a big enough paycheck coming, like people are going to fuck with it. Yeah, I think one of the crazy things too about and a lot of the complaints people have about sports too is it like sometimes sports are very top heavy there's not a lot of parody in it oh in the premier league one of these few teams are probably going to win or in the nba every year the last couple of years have been a little different but nba every year, oh this this team's going to be here and here so there's already like this false hope of this false hope of success for some of the lower teams and if the teams with the most money are already the ones winning the probably the teams with the most money are the ones that have the most influence and the most whether they're the teams are involved or not, the people that surround those teams are probably the ones that are fixing these. And it's like, we had a 1% chance and now we have a 0% chance. And it's just frustrating um, for those fans. And I mean, I can understand that. That would just be very frustrating. And as a wrestling fan growing up, like I knew it was scripted and fake and my son's starting to watch old wrestling videos. And I was devastated when Shawn Michaels would lose a match. But I also knew in the back of my head, well, this was always going to happen. But why couldn't you write him as a winner? <laughs> but that is like entertainment. The things that happen in, in wrestling behind the scenes, if they happened in other sports, would literally be illegal. Yeah. So, man, you this is going to turn into dead WWE. Like, man, I do you remember? I'm sorry, this is completely off topic. But Good. you said you mentioned wrestling. Do you remember back in the day uh, whenever Bill Goldberg uh, lost the belt, uh, like the championship belt, because somebody hit him with a stun gun? Yeah. Dude, man, that fucking wrecked me. Yeah, but we knew that was entertainment, right? Bill Goldberg, University of Georgia. Go dogs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, was, he played football. Dog roots run deep. I think this is a really interesting uh, kind of antidote about motivations. So talking about career sal salvaging, these are old. Some of the people who, were, who betted on these matches, these are older players who are nearing the end of their careers and finding themselves looking for their their final golden egg and and found opportunities within the game. So Joey Barton, this was in 20, he's a former Premier League footballer. He was banned for 18 months by the English FA for placing over 1,200 bets on soccer matches over 10 years. And he admitted 
to, you know, having a gambling problem and opened up this larger discussion on betting within English football. And uh, at the same time, we have to acknowledge the irony having so many sponsors with their betting companies. Oh, yeah. There's, I, I think they, I think the Premier League banned it this year, but I think two years ago there was like three or four teams that had betting companies that their main jersey sponsors. Yeah. Yeah. We had one on it for our main shirt sponsor up until this season, and we're not even in the Prem anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's just funny. Yeah. Even recently, do you remember Ivan Tony? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He was banned for eight months and he was betting on or against his own fucking team. And, I, that's all that apparently that's all that he did was just like place bets on whether whether or not they would win or whatever but so there i, I don't think there was any examples of him like throwing matches he was just betting on it right yeah like whatever happens happens <laughs> that's just so <laughs> indicative of the Eng- english footballer and football fan mindset is that you can be you can go into a match so pessimistic that you'll bet against your own team to lose yep i love that wow that's crazy that is crazy that's yeah that that's just funny even if it's not proved that he did anything with it, that's got to be in his head, right? Like he's out there. He's like, oh, I know for a fact I bet on this match. Like you score and he has this like little, he's good. So he scores, he scores a lot of goals. He has this little thing in his head like, shit, just scored that goal. I don't think yeah. you can really be a sporting figure and be allowed to bet on any sports. Well, I think, I mean, across all sports, it's frowned upon. I mean, in the NFL, multiple players over the last few years, Jameson Williams, the recent one, I think Calvin Ridley was one of them. Like they were just found betting on NFL games and other sports period. And they got banned for a whole season. The NFL is actually getting more lax on these rules and they're starting to allow sports betting a little bit more, but like it is like, why, I don't know. Like, why do you need to partake in that? If you're like, just follow this rule and it seems easy, right? Yeah. But TIFO actually, TIFO football actually had a really good video about this. And you think about footballers or NBA players or NFL players, they have very restrictive diets. They have very restrictive, very structured lives in general. And so really the one outlet you have is gambling. And whenever you have that like hyper-focused mentality, because you have that to be a professional athlete and you're not able to blow off steam by drinking or going out and partying or doing whatever, then you'll naturally gravitate towards gambling because that's the only thing that can like give you that endorphin rush. Yeah. One of my buddies was telling me when he was in Vegas, he and his friends convinced the entire room to bet on this. I think it was maybe like a Sounders game or something. It sounds illegal. Yeah. They're moving the line. They're moving the line. But they uh, got them all to bet on this game. And there was they were probably the only actual soccer fans in the entire room. But then suddenly everyone was <laughs> chanting. That's and the cheering. fun part about They're it. They're right? like, oh, come on, let's come on, you sounders. So uh, it's, I mean, y- you can see where people have fun with it. That's that's the consumer side. That's, a, that's the consumer side betting on it and yeah. just turning it into entertainment. But then if you knew that you were up against odds already, yeah. Yeah. Then, then you have no chance. And then it's, like I said, it ruins the entire integrity of the game. You're now facing up against these huge financial bodies who have endless pockets to manipulate not only your outcomes financially, but also emotionally. We all know when our team loses at the end of the week, we're pretty distraught. You're upset. There's, there's, when the thing does, game doesn't go in your direction, there's a lot of outcomes beyond just the financial loss. But also on the other, yeah, also on the other side, like you can argue, well, making a lot of money is fun. It allows you to do a lot of things. But also if someone, like if I'm, 
someone's like, hey, I'm going to put $10 on this game and I, cause I know exactly what's going to happen with it. Like, it'd be cool. It'd be an easy 10 bucks, but I'll, I'll give it to him. I'm not going to, I don't need to watch the game. Like I know that I made the $10. It's not as fun. And I mean, you can argue the greed comes into it. You're like, well, it's fun to win. It's fun to make money. But at the same time, it like completely changes it. Even on that side of things. I will say too, if you think about this sport in comparison to say like F1, Formula One, it's, uh, it's really a game of margins. If a team has a bad run at the tail end of the season and they're out and they get relegated, well, then they've lost hundreds of millions in broadcast dollars. And so I think every club wants to find their ace in the hole. What is their opportunity? And for some clubs who aren't managed well, it seems like their only opportunity is to figure out ways to throw the game in their favor or throw games to make more money to be able to buy more players. And um, not saying it's obviously right, but I'm just saying that you can see when, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars are on the line and your team is up against all odds, you might try to find ways to sweeten the pockets of rest so you can get at least some sort of, you know, payback in the end. Well, I think that's different, like, than just straight up match fixing for making like that instant profit uh, that happens with all these gambling syndicates. Like if you're just trying to buy wins to make sure that you stay up because you literally can't afford to get relegated because you will become insolvent if you don't get that $150 million or 150 million pounds per year that you get for broadcasting revenue for being in the Premier League. I think it's still wrong, but like it's different than just being in bed with a gambling syndicate. It's just it's looking at your P&L sheet and making a business decision, right? Man, is it that simple? No, it's definitely not that simple. <laughs> the conversation would be over if it was yeah. that simple. Well, <laughs> well, we solved it. Yep. This has been another person. <laughs> Catch us next time on yeah, wrap how, it to up. Win, how to beat Vegas. Yeah. So is there really any outcomes for match fixing? I think it, like to your point, Ryan, it's going to be so hard to police as the game grows globally, as we have more nuances within the sport. I think if you like soccer, you just have to accept it's going to continue to come. Yeah, I agree. I think one thing too is like there will be changes that are made as things become more prevalent. I was, we're talking about match fixing here. There's in 1982 in the, in the world cup, it was West Germany versus Austria. I think a lot of people know about that match. Like they, like if West Germany won that match, like one nil, both teams would advance. So like West Germany scored in the first 10 minutes and then supposedly it was like the shittiest soccer match of all time. Like, it was just stagnant. No one did anything. It ended. West Germany won 1-0. They both advanced. People were like, what the heck just happened? Algeria was the team that got screwed. And for Algeria, it's, they would have gone on to the knockout stages of the World Cup. Who knows what would have happened with the trajectory of soccer in that country. They would go to the 86 World Cup, but then they didn't go again until 2010. 2014, they actually finally it, like advanced to the knockout stage for the first time. They like complained to FIFA and were like, how did you let this happen? Like, how did this happen? Please review this and let us go on and make this match like null and void. And FIFA was like, well, they didn't do anything illegal. They just, someone scored and then they sat there. And one of the things that came out of that is now the last match of the group stage in the World Cup. When they get to that point, every match is at the same exact time. So mm -hmm. there's no knowledge of like exactly what needs to happen. The Premier League do does the same thing, right? The last match day of the season, every match is at 11 o'clock. So teams can't just know, well, earlier in the day, this team lost, so we don't need to do anything. It, it One, it breeds more excitement amongst the fans, but two, 
it limits that collusion a little bit. You talk about there's more money into it and there's going to be more eyeballs on it. There's going to be more like more money thrown at stopping this. So in 2000, before the 2022 World Cup, FIFA started for the first time taking very huge steps to um, monitor and look at betting patterns and just make sure that this wasn't going to happen. I'm just quoting this ESPN article, but said for the first time, an integrity task force of stakeholders, including Sports Radar, Interpol, the International Betting Integrity Association, and the FBI will be monitoring the betting markets and in-game wagering on every World Cup match. The task force will be watching for irregularities on everything from goals to yellow cards. And they basically took machine learning and artificial intelligence and they monitored like 30 billion data sets from like 600 bookmakers. We're looking at all this. All the people that were involved in it are employees and intelligence officers, backgrounds in counterterrorism, like people who had experience in financial fraud, military defense, law enforcement, sports radar. Radar's integrity services said, I know it sounds like James Bond, but it's not. It's solid intelligence work. We've even infiltrated a match fixing organization. And it's crazy, right? Like they're going to put a lot of money in it. FIFA estimated $155 billion would be bet globally on the 2018 World Cup. And if you think about that much money, like how hard it is to monitor that and how much, how even think about $1 billion sounds like a lot to us, but that's not even 1% of the total money. And if that money would have been filtered some way in the wrong way to fix one match, that could have affected the whole World Cup, right? But so steps are being taken and more money now is being spent because more money is being bet on it. And it's just trying to uphold the integrity of the game. But it all goes back to FIFA, right? Like, why are they spending money to do this? It's because they want to be the ones in power. They have a vested interest in the game being controlled by them. Yeah, that gives us the added benefit of the games being maybe not fair in the absolutist sense, but at least we know that they weren't like pre-planned and preordained to cut for the outcome to happen a certain way. Yeah. And I think if anyone were to go this direction, it would probably be FIFA, right? But Will, I think you were talking earlier or, or before we even hopped on of should we legalize and regulate betting to reduce the allure of underground betting and make it legal for people to place certain bets or do certain things. And I know like sports gambling is becoming more legal in more states and more countries and things like that. But if, do you think FIFA or any of the, or UEFA or either of these like sub subcategory regulatory bodies, whatever, like try to actually regulate it? Not that they would make match fixing legal, but like they would be the ones in charge of like the rules behind it. I'm sure they would probably try and try to find some way to, again, have control and make their own dollar. If you have everyone have to sign up for a, FIFA betting subscription to blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I wouldn't know how. Yeah, I think that already exists. I mean, they're the governing the, body of, of the rules of like how you can bet around games. But Yeah, but the EFL, so particularly the second division in England, the title sponsor of the championship is Skybet. <laughs> like they are a title sponsor for the EFL. I think that MLS has like an official betting partner. Like this, they're already getting like these... Leagues and these FAs are already getting in bed with betting companies because it's better to be in bed with the devil you know than the devil you don't. It's better for the consumer as well to know that they have this established relationship and there are these rules and terms of engagement between these two companies opposed to going to some, you know, off Main Street in Vegas or wherever 
or to some bookie in the back of a dive bar that you don't know like what they're involved in. Yeah. And as much as people love, like us love WWE and wrestling, we watch that for a purpose. And I think that FIFA knows, and I think that the teams know and everything that people don't tune in to soccer to get that same, get that same fix. So I think they know, I think that if fans saw that these like governing bodies had more control over it, they would at least know, Hey, there, there is going to be some integrity here. Cause they know if it gets super crazy, then it's, it will actually affect the bottom line like quite a bit. Yeah. I think I'm really interested to see how this all plays out going into 2026 because we have such a massive presence. Vegas is obviously an American staple to the world. There were so many people coming over trying to visit and uh, watching these matches here. And I'm really interested just to see how this compounds in the coming years, whether or not FIFA addresses it and swings that ban hammer and really tries to, to capitalize on it or at least punish those wrongdoers or if it continues to feel like open season. Did you say man hammer? Ban hammer. Ban. Yeah, drop the ban hammer. Sorry. Will's going to drop his man hammer. <laughs> <laughs> I heard you wrong. Well, boys, this has been a pretty interesting conversation. I think about match fixing. Unfortunately, there's no real solution. I think it's going to continue to be what it is in the sport. It's just one of those side effects. I think so, Think of a, a global sport as big as soccer is. But it's 701. And I think we got a Boca Juniors match to watch. Valley Boca. All right, cheers, boys. We'll see you on the next one. Cheers. Cheers.